It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you we've been here before. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday as we get you set for game two of the NLDS between the Braves and Phillies and a whole lot more here on this Wednesday edition. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Lots to do here. We will get to the Braves. We'll start off there in just a moment. Some Falcons news and notes to get to as they get set for the 49ers. NFL once again jockeying around. The Atlanta Hawks will play a preseason game tonight that we will discuss and uh, how the Draymond Green situation relates to the Atlanta Hawks. We'll do all that coming up here on this Wednesday edition. Uh, Yesterday, of course, was not the start that the Atlanta Braves wanted. Uh, I don't think anybody is anywhere near panicking, and it was – One of those games where it was kind of hard to figure out because if I would have told you that the Braves would have hit two home runs and the Phillies would have hit none, you would have said that the Braves were going to win that game. That's kind of the way it went down. The Phillies didn't hit a single long ball and yet somehow pulled out a 7-6 win. Now, in fairness, one of those home runs from Matt Olson was kind of like a garbage time home run, if you will, a three-run shot in the ninth that brought it to it in one run. But nonetheless, you know, you're you're looking at a team in a scenario here where uh, I, I, they are too veteran and too experienced to panic. But it is a little bit disconcerting that the Phillies got five two-out base hits in the game. The Braves couldn't buy one um, at all. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I told you so by any stretch of the imagination, but I did say that I didn't like the Phillies matchup. I felt like it was much more of a coin flip than taking on the Cardinals. You can't do anything about that. The Cardinals aren't involved in this anymore, but that was just prior to the playoffs starting and wondering who, were, who was a better matchup for the Braves. The Cardinals were easily the better matchup because they're not as strong as a team as the Phillies are in that lineup. Like we talked about yesterday for Philadelphia from one through nine can hit the baseball. So uh, the the other, the other part of yesterday that was a little bit disconcerting, obviously was Max Fried didn't have his best stuff. All you could say is guys, that's going to happen. I think his next time out, he'll bounce back fine. um, Provided he gets it, he should get it. But you know, the next time he gets the ball, I don't think there's any reservations that he will go out and look like his old self. I, I still have more reservations about Kyle Wright looking like himself and the 21-game winner that he was this year because, as I've said repeatedly, nobody's numbers other than Strider were really good against the Phillies across the board. Um, and if you look this year, or overall, I should say, in his career against the Phillies, Kyle Wright is 2-3 and three with a 3.86 ERA. His whip is pretty solid at 1.02. Uh, he's given up. Just 13 earned runs in 30 and a third innings. Uh, he has struck out 23, but he has walked 15. The walks are a little bit, you know, disconcerting from that standpoint. Um, you know, it, it's and it's crazy because if you look at his stats this year against the Phillies, he is two and one, but he did walk seven batters in 19 innings. He struck out 15. Um, you know, his strikeout to walk ratio this year two to one, but overall in his career. The strikeout-to-walk ratio against the Phillies is just one and a half. And it's kind of low. You want that to be a little bit better. Um, you know, and Kyle Wright has to put together one of those starts 
that you absolutely need to sort of turn the momentum around. I Look, I don't even think the Braves are out of it if they lose here, especially if uh, Spencer Strider, you know, guys, my ace in the hole, my guy, is starting in game three. We still don't know if he is or he isn't. Um, at this point in time, they haven't said. They'll get an off day again tomorrow before they travel. So, you know, Major League Baseball wanted to do this thing. Everybody had the game one on the same night. Now they'll stagger them a little bit um, to keep baseball on every single night. So I think the Yankees and Indians series, Guardians put a coin in the jar, my bad. Um, Yankees and, and Guardians are off tonight along with, I think the Dodgers and Padres, and I think you get the other two series going, and then they'll flip-flop. But um, regardless, I'm not even worried about game two. Uh, I think the Braves are talented enough and good enough to be able to come back and win three straight. It's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a situation that they want to be in, but they absolutely have to uh, – absolutely can't be countered out no matter what, even if they go down 0-2. They're too experienced. I mean, it, I go back to all – of the Yankees teams after they started winning World Series that got down 0-1 in a series or got down 0-2 and then came back in in, in a five-game series and won the whole thing. Like, I mean, that's, you know, that's the hallmark of championship teams. And the Braves have that. They, they, nobody is, there is panicking. They know there's another day. They know there's another game that they can they can go out and play and, and atone for yesterday's mishaps. So, but it is going to come down to starting pitching. It is going to come down to, getting timely hitting. And honestly, it's it's going to be, you know, the usual suspects are going to be there, but you're going to need Orlando Arcia or, I mean, yesterday it was Travis Darno, which was great, but you're going to need some of those lesser guys to to, to get some big hits along the way. Um, and, and go look around at the rest of the games that were played last night. Um, you know, again, Harrison Bader hits a home run for the Yankees to tie it up. It wasn't Judge. It wasn't Stanton. It wasn't. I mean, it was th those those role playing guys are going to have to step up and make something happen. Um, and it, we we don't have the lineup yet as we record this show today. But uh, I'm curious to see if Snitker does any tinkering with the lineup, not only from a matchup standpoint, but also from a you know uh, also from a a standpoint of hey we we need we have better matchups with these guys against Zach Wheeler. So it is is Zach Wheeler going and Wheeler was pretty good against the uh, the Braves this year. Um, but it's not like they don't know how to hit him. It's not like they, they haven't seen him enough between his time with the Mets and everything else that they, they, there's any reason to believe that Zach Wheeler is going to be able to overpower the Braves. Could he have that start where absolutely um, he looks fantastic? Yeah, but this is too good of a lineup here to really – for me to even really concern myself with that the Braves won't be able to score. And I'm just looking back at, at Wheeler's game log. He went six and two thirds, uh, gave up eight hits, two runs, struck out 10. This was back on um, May 23rd. Phillies won that game seven to three. That was his only appearance against the Braves this year. I'm, not, I'm sorry. He had a second one in June 28th. He went six and a third, gave up three runs, struck out eight uh, in a no decision. So he's been decent against the Braves this year, all things considered. But, again, I, I don't have many concerns. This team is too professional. So there is that. Uh, you look across the other series. I'll make one, make one other note about the other series, man. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, who I thought were a very underrated pick to go to uh, – to go win the American League, uh, they're they're done after losing that game. They don't come back from that. 
you don't come back from that in a short series. The way that they blew a seven-run lead yesterday uh, and, and, you know, the fashion that it happened in, no way. No way. I mean, you know, it wasn't seven runs. I'm sorry. It was three runs, but four runs rather. But still, you know, it just, you can't recover from that mentally. Not against a team like the Astros. You had to put them away yesterday and you didn't do it. Uh, And I don't even want to second guess Scott Chavez if you didn't watch. He brought in his ace starter, Robbie Ray, with two outs in the ninth to face Jordan Alvarez, who promptly hit a ball 440 feet into the upper deck and won with a three-run homer. So, yeah, it was uh, it was bad. It was bad. They gave up five runs over the course of the eighth and the ninth inning to blow a four-run lead, and I don't know if they recover. I genuinely don't. Padres and Yank- uh, Yankees and Dodgers rather held serve. Uh, they, they look like superior teams to this point, but obviously you still got some more games left to play, so don't need to get too far ahead of ourselves. And I was incorrect. It's, it's uh, Atlanta-Philadelphia today. It's all NL today and then AL tomorrow. So Atlanta-Philly, Dodgers-Padres. And then the NL takes a day off and the AL goes back on and then they'll flip-flop the rest of the way through the end of the series. So, um, all right, that's it for the Braves. Again, I don't think anybody's too worried at this point in time or panicking. Uh, We will get to some big-picture looks of the Falcons coming up here in a moment. First, a word from our friends at BetOnline.net, your number one online source for odds, lines, and games. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in. On all your betting needs, find your favorite sports and events all right there at betonline.net. There are news and reviews of every league, NFL, college football in full swing, Major League Baseball playoffs here, NHL underway, NBA getting underway, combat sports, esports, even golf. It's all right there. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. They've got you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline where the game starts. I've often have implored Falcons fans to continue to take a 30,000 foot view with this team. And I've done so because I want everybody to understand that just because you win a couple of games doesn't really necessarily escape what you're supposed to be and who you are. You know, the Falcons over the course of the first three weeks, statistically, um, not only did they have a great running game, um, but their defense wasn't anywhere near as bad as anybody had thought. And statistically, now you're starting to see the numbers wane a little bit. You know, the Falcons had some sacks early on, uh, didn't get one last. They did, well, the Grady Jarrett one doesn't count because it was a penalty, but nonetheless, you get the point. Um, you know, they have eight sacks, which is tied for like 24th in the league, 25th in the league. It's not inside the bottom five, but it's just outside the bottom five. You know, their yardage, they're giving up 393 yards per game. It's not inside the bottom five. It's just outside the bottom five. And the problem is, is that over the course of the next two games, I think you're going to see those defensive numbers start to look like what we thought they would look like this year. Oh, the defense is going to be terrible. In reality, the defense situationally has played pretty good. They've gotten off the field in certain key junctions in the game. They've made stops at certain key junctions that they've needed to. Um, you know, aside from week one against the Saints, they haven't really had, you know, any major meltdowns or collapses. They held Tom Brady, who averaged 35 points a game against the Falcons in his career. They held him pretty much in check for four quarters, enough so that they, the offense could get back in it and 
theoretically give themselves a chance to win the game. So there are clear improvements what we've seen with this team. Obviously, again, the run game is the biggest improvement that we've seen on this team. Why? Because, well, it actually works. As I said yesterday, the Falcons have an identity. The identity is being able to run the football. That's due to Arthur Smith sort of forcing that ideology um, down everybody's throats and everybody in the organization buying in. You know, I, I think that is a big part of exactly what we are watching unfold here with the Falcons. I'm not going to get too caught up in some of the numbers. I, I Maybe it's unfair for me to nitpick the numbers that I like versus the ones that I don't in order to uh, tell the story or the narrative of this year's Atlanta Falcons team. But I'm trying to extrapolate the things that are good that this team can build on and this franchise can build on going forward as opposed to focusing on, oh, well, it's the same old stuff. Because I don't think it is the same old stuff. I think a lot of things have changed. I think there's a certain amount of this isn't the same old stuff that we need to focus on. I think it's more of there is reason for optimism in the big picture going forward as soon as they start to make, you know, some roster moves that are, you know, ones that can impact this franchise. In other words, when they add next year with players that are worthwhile, they'll they'll have a chance to uh, to start to be better. But you know, I'm I think we're all more focused on the offense than the defense. I would like to see some more progression out of the defense, but it's not going to be easy over the course of the next two games. The 49ers and they're going to go on the road to the Bengals um, in late October, which weather could play an issue in that game as well. But if the Falcons are a running team, it doesn't hurt them necessarily as much. I have a feeling this game could be one of the uglier ones for the Falcons. The way the 49ers have played and the way that they came out and beat the Panthers, and I know they're on back-to-back road games, and uh, they just they, – offensively, they are they are clicking on all cylinders right now, and the defense is too good for any offense to have a big measure of success against them. I mean, if you look at the 49ers over the last couple of weeks, what they did to the Rams on Monday night, and then a short week flying east. Now, they stayed east this week. I think they went in West Virginia. Um, But, you know, other than the embarrassing loss to the Broncos where, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo just was on his first full week, and you could tell the offense was a little disjointed. Um, You know, other than that, and that's a really good defense Denver has, They've looked really good offensively in their other three games. And the the challenge this week will be on the defense. As much as people will focus on what the Falcons offense can do against San Fran, the challenge this week is going to be on the defense not to give up 30 to the Niners. I think that's something that everybody's starting to forget about a little bit. Want to pivot real quick to the Atlanta Hawks. They're going to take on the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight in Cleveland in a in a preseason game. I think they got one or two more preseason games before they start the regular season. Um, I don't know how many games they have left thinking about it now. I'm not sure. But season doesn't start until November, so they clearly have to have more than one or two preseason games. Anyway, what I wanted to focus on was this team's offseason, comparatively speaking to last year uh, and where they are going. 
you know, I, I look at what happened in Golden State with Draymond Green and, you know, the punching of the teammate. And then you had Steve Kerr say yesterday, this is the biggest crisis that team has ever faced. Well, I guess to a certain extent, if that's the biggest crisis, you're doing okay. But on the other hand, it's one of those things where um, for him to say that because there was tumultuousness with his players sort of indicates where, you know, how much that could rip apart a championship caliber team. This offseason has been very quiet, all things considered. You know, prior and leading up to the draft and the free agency period, when all the rumors were that the Falcons, the Falcons, the Hawks were moving on from John Collins and, you know, the roster was going to be overhauled and this, that, and the other. Like, there was a lot of noise. It settled down. It got quiet quick. And it appears that everybody has gone back to work and that this team is in a good situation right now. That's comforting. It, it makes me at least believe that whatever has gone on this offseason, and whether it's Nate McMillan or the addition of Deontay Murray or what, that they have figured out a way to sort of find a spot where it appears, again, because we haven't heard anything we don't know, but it appears that basketball has been the sole focus. And I think that's a good thing. That calming effect, I think, matters. I think it's it's something that absolutely you should – want for your team during the off season. Um, you know, I, I ultimately believe this team should be better record wise during the regular season than last year's. I stress record wise, because I don't know that they're good enough yet to even get to the fourth seed in the East and host a playoff series. I think that for me is sort of the measure of improvement this year. Their win total was set at 43 and a half or 45 and a half. Sorry. Last year, they won 43. Is Deontay Murray good enough for three more wins? I would think so. That plus Trey Young being off ball a little bit more should get you into the high 40s. I think so. Feels like it's really, you know, a possibility. But I also feel good about the fact that everything has quieted down and everything now is just about this team being better on the basketball court. That may serve them well because there's a lot of noise surrounding a lot of teams this offseason, whether it's Golden State, whether it's Boston. You know, uh, there's just always some sort of NBA noise out there, and it's been relatively quiet for the Hawks, and I think that ultimately is a very, very good thing. All right, I want to shift to the NFL, but now it's time for Shuffles of Wisdom. Brace yourselves because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. You know how we do it every day. We got to set somebody straight. Or saying or doing something stupid. So my Twitter account at Mark Zeno. And just use the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today my shovel goes to the New York Giants. Well, why? Why why would you give a shovel to your own team, Mark? Well, because they left their punter in London. Why did they leave their punter in London? Did not, uh, punter did not return with the team. They say they were aware of the issue prior to the trip. They expect him to be back and haven't worked out any punters as a contingency. Oh, but I don't know. It's like Wednesday. The game is on Sunday. Gillen nicknamed the Scottish Hammer because he's a native of Inverness, Scotland, 
came to the United States as a teenager, uh, and he came here on a NATO visa uh, with his father. Well, he never changed that to a work visa when he entered the NFL. So, yeah, now the U.S. Customs is like, hey, buddy, I don't care what you do for a living. Get back on the boat and get over there. How are you not going to fix this? Like, how did you sign him knowing this year at the that you were going to London and not be like, hey, uh, it is Scotty. Hi, Jamie, did you get your passport fixed? Why am I doing an Irish accent? I don't know. Anyway, but probably need a punter on Sunday. Might have to be an emergency situation. Call somebody, anybody. All right. Uh, according to a source, the NFL is going to mull roughing the passer penalties after the season. Uh, according to someone on the competition committee who wishes to remain anonymous, uh, that uh, they're going to discuss roughing the passer penalties after the season. The AP reported earlier Tuesday, topic also be discussed next week when the NFL owners meet in New York because the league was not planning in-season rule changes. Um, of course, the competition committee, for those who don't know, composed of six team owners, executives, four head coaches. They make most of the recommendations for rule changes. Teams also can propose rule changes and require uh, three-quarters of the league to pass uh, and voted on by owners. Now, both uh, Chris Jones and Grady Jarrett have basically said on the record publicly that we'd like roughing the passer penalties to be reviewed. Well, the committee member who wished to remain anonymous said, quote, the hard part is, is that because we have no real standard for what roughing the passer looks like, we'll always get a wide range of what the referee decides is and isn't a foul. Let's pause there. We do know what roughing the passer looks like. We do know what violent hits are. Uh, and we do know that optically, neither Tom Brady nor Patrick Mahomes was roughed at all. In fact, both of those players did exactly what you're taught to do to not throw the quarterback to the ground or to not land with all of your weight on top of the quarterback. They both did exactly what you were taught. So, yeah, we do know what it looks like. And you do have a real standard. This goes back to a catch. We, we had no real standard, I suppose, for what a catch was, but we all knew we saw one when it happened. And the rest of America did yet, you know, complete the process, P.S. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, my eyes tell me that's a catch. Everybody thinks it's a catch, and the way you wrote the rule means it's not. This anonymous individual continued, quote, the only way to correct that is to have a review process for personal fouls. We may even have to do that for offensive pass interference and defensive pass interference. These are huge fouls that can that impact and can change the game when the foul is or isn't called. I don't know if the powers that be would want that review process for, for personal fouls or not, though. You don't need a review process. Stop complicating things that are very, very simple. All you need to do is throw a challenge flag. And all you need to do is send it up to a booth. Did he throw the quarterback to the ground? The answer for Grady Jarrett, no. Because the way the, the, way the buzzer comes down and communicates with the referee to tell him, it's the same way the referee communicates back with them. I saw him throw him to a ground. That's why I threw the flag. Okay. Uh, hey, Jerome Bogart, he didn't actually throw him because to throw him, you have to let go of him, and he never did that. That's not a penalty. Okay. After further review, there is no foul on the play for roughing the passer. Problem solved. Would you like me to repeat the process for, you know, the review process for what happened to 
Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Derek Carr and Chris Jones. Here we go. Well, I saw him land with his entire body weight forcefully on the quarterback. Uh, nope, he actually braced his hand on the ground, and the other hand was holding the ball, so he physically could not put all his weight on him. That's not a foul. After further review, there is no foul for roughing the passer. I just solved the whole process for you. You're making this more difficult than it needs to be, NFL. For what reason, I can't understand. Why you still want to go down this road and make it this difficult is beyond me. But here we are. Doesn't need to be this hard. Really, really doesn't. You don't need a review process for things that you have written down and clearly delineated. Much like, much like when you have clearly delineated that an illegal forward pass is when the entire quarterback's body is over the line. So if he's got a toe on the line, guess what? He's still technically behind the line and it's not a legal forward pass. A review fixes that. Simple. Onside kick. The kicking team cannot recover the ball or touch the ball before 10 yards. We have a review. Did they touch the ball before 10 yards? Yes or no? Yes, they did. They can't recover it. Re-kick it. Five-yard penalty. What, what, what are we doing? You're making this harder than it needs to be. You're genuinely making this harder than it needs to be, and I just don't understand why. That's it. I've literally just solved the review process. You're welcome, NFL. I hope you were paying attention. All right. Um, as we uh, turn to game two here for the Braves, let's hope we uh, take a break on Thursday and we come back for Thursday's show with a series tied at one. Uh, we will look towards college football this weekend. Some huge, huge matchups uh, that I want to get into as well. Georgia and Vandy, so much more to do here the rest of this week. Jam-packed time of year. And thank you guys for being part of A to Z. Make sure that you give us a follow on Twitter at LockedOnATL. I'm at Mark Zinno. Don't forget to download the Roku TV app. Check us out on Roku TV, Amazon Fire Stick, whatever it is. Uh, we are there every single day. We appreciate the love and the support. Support. Love and support. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Tongue-tied Wednesday here. Back tomorrow. You guys have a great day. Don't take the crap from anybody. See you. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.